What's up? What is going on? It's probably echoey as hell in here, so I'm actually going to switch my uh, speakers. The echo crap. There we go. Sound should be a little bit better instead of uh, the echo. Best to have the mic, you know, just emanating right from my face. So, yeah. Good to see you folks. Uh, still basically fresh out of quarantine, which is cool. And uh, still picking up the pieces. Uh, but uh, we move on forward and ahead. So uh, tonight's lecture is Season 18, Episode 24, Cognitive Origins, Intimacy, and Justification. So what are cognitive origins? Cognitive origins are a foundational way to sparse the different expressions of the needs of the human soul. They are the birthplace of human motivation. Basically, like, if you're not able to, like, get your cognitive origin out of life, uh, Suffice it to say, uh, you're more than likely going to attempt to kill yourself, basically. Cognitive origins are what dreams are made of. A person cannot have dreams in their life whatsoever, much less be able to live life without dreams. It's actually something that's heavily explored in the Netflix show, The Sandman, which was uh, written by Neil Gaiman. And I highly recommend the graphic novel series in as much as the show. But basically, there's a particular episode, hashtag spoilers, and I don't care, so, you know, you just have to deal with it. Wow, that's kind of cute. The uh, light turned off, but I actually like this better with the light turned off, so we're just going to leave it as is. Anyway, uh, so the point is, without uh, understanding how the human race works, the human race ultimately will be on the path of self-destruction and ultimately destroy itself if it doesn't have the opportunity to dream, if it doesn't have a future, basically. And that's also what cognitive origins are for. Cognitive origins are, in effect, what human beings are naturally seeking out of life, what they are naturally going for, right? That's what human beings want. That's what human beings are looking for. That's the entire point of living. Cognitive origins is the entire point of living, and everything in their life is organized and centered around origin. Origin is also important because when you're using it as a tool to type other people, it's the only thing that doesn't change within a person's head or their persona or their psyche or their soul or however you want to describe it. It's the one thing that doesn't change. Oftentimes, you know, we're looking at cognitive transition between the four sides of the mind, and that can add some difficulty when you're trying to type somebody because when you're trying to observe someone from a distance, trying to use inductive reasoning to qualify or even deductive reasoning to uh, to subtract basically what's left over and find out which vectors of the type grid that are most represented in front of you at that moment in time, you get to a point where it's like, okay, hey, how are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to live life? How are we going to type somebody accurately? Well, it changes. It changes constantly. So cognitive origins as a vector on the type grid, as something important uh, to be discussed relating to the type grid, uh, represents something truly special because it doesn't matter where a person is at in their life. It doesn't matter if they're cognitive transition. It doesn't matter what they're going through. It doesn't matter what their nurture is, their octogram. It doesn't matter what interaction styles they're using. It doesn't matter their temperament, worldview, expression. It just doesn't matter. All of those things mean nothing when compared to the cognitive origin. And cognitive origin is so fascinating, especially when applied to the type grid, because if you do apply it to the type grid, it eliminates 14 of the 16 types. You've already reduced down to two left on the type grid and then you have all these other vectors with which to reduce further in order to figure out the actual one that the person is i mean that's how awesome cognitive origin is right so it's just just like it's uh you know just like i said previously like it is the birthplace of motivation it is the 
source of dreams. It is basically the thing that gives a human being a future. If you take away their origin or their ability to gain their origin, they will basically self-destruct. If you take away their origin, you have in effect destroyed all hope. Cognitive origin is basically the hope for an individual's psyche. It's, it's a hope for life. It's a hope for who they are. I work hard every single day trying to get my origin. Every single person out there works hard every single day for their origin. It's just how do they go about getting their origin? That's That ends up being like discussions in terms of deadly sins, living virtues, shadow and aspiration poles, and what we call the temple wheels. That's ultimately the actions that people take in order to arrive or gain their cognitive origin for themselves. But that's not necessarily... Uh, the thing. So anyway, let's actually look at some definitions here. So cognitive origin. So cognitive basically means concerned with the act of or process of knowing, perceiving, etc., or of relating to the mental processes of perception, memory, judgment, and reasoning as contrasted with emotional and volitional processes. Origin means something from which anything arises or is derived. It's a source, a fountainhead, uh, or the first stage of existence, beginning. And thirdly is a mathematical definition, basically the point in a Cartesian coordinate system where the axes intersect. That's what origin basically means. A cognitive origin, then, is how we perceive the world. It is what powers everything that we seek. It is the hole that each of us is trying to fill in a metaphysical sense, we could replace the word cognitive with psyche or soul, giving us the origin of our soul or the origin or our psychic origin. This would translate to cognitive origin to mean that which our souls are made for. Uh, quite honestly, folks, this is the intrinsic life purpose of each of the 16 types, or at least the eight dyads, uh, the intrinsic per. Uh, purpose, but not the extrinsic one. The extrinsic one is what we talk about um, in the upcoming season 24 content. That's the extrinsic, but not the intrinsic. This is the intrinsic. This is basically the great uh, introverted uh, source that is within each person and ultimately why people live life. Cognitive origin is why every individual lives life take that origin away or take away their ability to get that origin, they may as well as just off themselves. And many people actually do, uh, or they go out with a bang. It's, it's, it's pretty sad, but all hope, all hope, you know, and if, and if hope springs eternal, well, then I guess that means the origin better be indefinite in order to keep springing eternal, basically. So without the origin, there's no point in living life. And that's, that's a fact. That's why I maintain that putting someone in jail is cruel and unusual punishment because you've just inhibited them from getting their origin entirely. So, I mean, there's, there's obviously a, a, a small debate within that, but ultimately like there's far more people in prison than there needs to be. And uh, that, that can be adjusted. So, for this particular episode, we're going to be discussing the cognitive origins uh, associated with the soul temple, which is the origin of justification as well as the origin of intimacy. So let's start with justification. What is justification? Justification is the first origin in the soul temple belonging to the ENFP and ISTJ dyad. Justification is fundamentally an understanding perspective. This diet uses their understanding of others' viewpoints in order to justify or not justify their behavior and intentions, which is kind of interesting to me because how I see justification is that the ENFP and the ISTJ type out there, these are literally the people who live life trying to see what they can get away with, trying to see what they are allowed to do, what they are allowed to take and when, right? And if you think about it, it's like, it's the ultimate definition of deserving. Basically it's a systematic approach to deservation. It's like, Hey, I deserve this because of X or, Hey, I get to do this because of X. I X, Y, Z thing because X, Y, Z other thing. Basically that's literally what justification is. And the ENFP and the ICJ, they want to be the high rollers. They want to have the high life. They want to have a great life, but they know that sometimes you have to be willing to break rules. You have to be willing to see what you can take when you can. 
So technically this, because of the origin of justification, ENFPs and ISTJs out of all the 16 types are actually the types that are mostly on the take, more so on the give, right? Definitely way more on the take because they're all trying to see what exactly they can get away with. That's the whole point of justification origin. What's the quickest way? What's the most justifiable way? What can I get away with in order to guarantee that I have a better life? That's it. And then, you know, if they have, uh, because here's the thing, like justification, you know, can rot, it can, it can die, it can, it can go away or it can become worthless. You know, they can lose that justification just as quickly as they've gotten it. But if an ENFP and an ISTJ can come up with a way to have an eternal justification, eternal justification, where it's, where it's long lasting or indefinite lasting, or it'll never go away. That way they are always excused to get away with whatever they want, right? That is the ENFP and ISTJ's wet dream of a life right there. So that's, that's the situation. So justification is all about reasons. While this dyad can enable their own and other people's bad behavior, they can also be a source of forgiveness and provide the redemption to others through their absolution. Why? Why is that even a thing? Because as they look at life in terms of like what they're trying to get away with, they could see that other people are trying to get away with things too. And then after a while, they're like, well, I've gotten away with a lot. So that person should be allowed to get away with a lot too, because I was able to get away with a lot. And that's why they end up becoming a source of forgiveness and they provide redemption for other people because they're like, hey, I already got with, I got away with a lot and I got away with a lot by, by being less justified than that person. And that person's doing the same thing. Why do they have to go to jail? But I'm off scot-free, you know, hey, maybe we should be a source of forgiveness for that person without revealing that I should probably go to jail myself, you know, because I technically broke the rules, right? Right. That's that's the that's the justification way. You know what I'm saying? And that, too, is uh, quite, quite frustrating. So understanding the technical meaning of justification emerges from the four poles that not only compose what justification is, but show the four different ways justification can be utilized and or gained in a person's life. And these four poles are absolution and the deadly sin of wrath, uh, the living virtue of absolution but also uh, the shadow pole of discrimination and the aspiration pole of impartiality, right? So let's look at absolution for a second. Absolution is the soul temple pole of this origin wheel. Absolution is removing guilt by demonstrating why someone was justified in what they did or what they intended. Absolution is the height of giving the benefit of the doubt. But really folks, there's a hidden, there is a hidden, um, agenda behind absolution. Oftentimes, absolution is being produced to people by the people who have already gotten away with the murder. If someone is being absolved of committing murder, the person who's absolving the person of committing murder, they themselves likely committed murder. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's there's always something hidden going on with the living virtue of absolution. And that's just one example. It's like, yeah, they're giving the benefit of the doubt because either they believe they themselves should be given the benefit of the doubt in that situation, or they already are guilty of that situation and they want the benefit of the doubt for themselves as well. So that ends up becoming this affiliative shared absolution type of approach. They're always like going out of their way to like be super forgiving because they expect other people to forgive them or they already are in need of being forgiven themselves. So there is kind of a hidden agenda when it comes to living virtue of absolution, right? Because from their perspective, it goes both ways. I can still gain justification from the perspective of providing absolution to other people. So that's a huge issue. ENFPs and ISTJs really respect the effort and good intentions of others, even when mistakes are made. While that is true, it's usually also a little bit more selfish than that. At least here's the negative aspect of absolution. It's like they respect the effort and good intentions of others because they're hoping others respect the effort and good intentions of themselves. There's definitely cognitive projection there. And you'll find cognitive projection amongst any of these aspects um, between the shadow pole, aspiration pole, living virtue, deadly sin. <coughs> so as long as effort and the right intentions are in place, 
ENFPs and ISTJs will usually release you from the guilt of your mistakes, basically, something that uh, Soul Temple Templars desperately desire. This dyad also gives absolution for themselves, removing themselves from guilt. Sometimes this is enabling, but it can also force them to live up to the standards they set for others. <coughs> now let's look at the deadly sin of wrath. Wrath is the body temple pole of this origin wheel. Wrath is uh, punishment uh, when the ENFP and ISCJ believe someone or self was not justified in their behavior or intention. Justification would be meaningless if uh, there weren't consequences when someone was not justified. So punishment, right? So it's, it, it's, it's crime and punishment, you know, absolution for people who commit so-called crimes could be even social faux pas and, or punish or wrath is already avail, available and ready to punish, uh, and apply punitive me measures at any particular time. And justification, like I said, would be meaningless if there weren't consequences when someone was not justified. And it's so interesting to me that ENFPs and ISTJs get to imagine themselves the arbiters or the deciders as to what is justified and what is not justified, which is which I find utterly ridiculous that they would see themselves so arrogant as to believe that that's okay. But that's how they live their life. Their entire life is centered around justification, and because their entire life is centered around justification, it's like, hey. I've, I've made my entire life devoted to justification, so maybe I should be included in the decision-making as to how it works. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that may be so, but the thing is, is that you are gaining personal benefit from what is justified and not justified at the same time. And due to that personal bias, you're a little too close. And I don't, and because you're too close, I don't think you get to be the judge. That's my personal opinion, you know, my reaction to that. But anyway, they elect themselves the, uh, you know, the, uh, the executioner, judge, jury, and executioner. That is what this uh, temple dyad is all about, ENFPs and ISTJs, right? So ultimately, wrath becomes a tool for justification because it is through the punishment that the person's guilt is then removed. Wrath is basically sanctification through hellfire. So the thing is, is that, like, once uh, the ISTJ and the ENFP like applies wrath to something, it's like, okay, you felt my wrath. Okay, so you're absolved now because and your guilt is removed. I don't have to be mad at you anymore. Which is, it, 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 and you know, like, you know, Railgun, my wife, she, she'd love that. She'd absolutely love that. But for me, that's not how I work. You know, she's built to be in a relationship with somebody who has wrath, who reacts negatively to her and then never brings it up again after that. Because, you know, the punishment is that person's guilt is then removed. I have the perspective as a heart temple crusader that I am going to be wrathful to you. And no, your guilt is not removed. It just means you're basically a piece of shit indefinitely. And you need to accept that you're a piece of shit indefinitely. And actually have to prove to me by consistent work and action for the rest of your life, for the rest of your existence, for every time you breathe that, you know you're not ever going to be that person ever again. So yeah, while I'll still punish you, I'm still gonna see you as a piece of shit because that's how heart temple crusaders are because we don't necessarily, we are not about justification. We're not about removal of guilt because we carry our guilt with us every single day. No, no, that's not how we work. That's not how it is. So no, punishment that we meet out does not mean the person's guilt is then removed, no. They have to prove through hard work and effort that um, basically, um, I think um, a good way of saying it, like, you know, you have to forgive somebody 70 times seven. Well, I also maintain they got to work hard 70 times seven as well, basically. So for every failure they have, they need to have 480 successes um, to uh, fix the failure, basically. And that's the Heart Temple Crusader perspective. It's pretty screwed up, isn't it, right? But, you know, that's what happens when you have deadly sin of envy, because the thing is, is that from a heart temple crusader perspective, if our origin being like satisfaction, it's like, we're not satisfied to just punish you. That doesn't mean you changed. That doesn't mean you're not going to fail tomorrow. Punishing you doesn't necessarily do anything anyway. This is why oftentimes heart temple crusaders actually elect not do the punishment, because it's like, what's the point? That hasn't proven anything. That hasn't proven that they've improved. That doesn't, that doesn't show us that their character is any better. It doesn't. It really, really doesn't. 
But ENFPs and ISTJs, even though I, my personal bias says this is a completely and totally foolish perspective for them to have, um, but from their perspective, which is still valid, even though my opinion is it's kind of a foolish thing, um, that, hey, if I got mad at you and you're able, you are willing to survive me being mad at you, uh, then that means your guilt is completely removed and I never bring it up again. You're absolved. You know, you're, 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 uh, your slate is clean. But from my perspective, that's not how it works. That's not how life works. No, no. Just because you get punished doesn't mean you're clean. No, no, nope, nope. Got to see a lot of effort to prove that they actually are a changed person. Because from my perspective, you could just go out there and like, look, I mean, you know, I'm a parent, right? I got children. I spank children sometimes. I have spanked children in my time. But guess what? They're going to do it again the next day. So is spanking really helping? Is the, is the punishment really removing that person's guilt, that child's guilt? Mm, no, no, it's not. This is why I maintain the cognitive origin of justification is ultimately a pipe dream. But again, my personal opinion, these people, ENFP and ISTJ, live life this way. And thank God they do because ESTPs and INFJs exist where they actually need that. And it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult, very, very, very difficult, you know, so they have a hard time. Hamilton Johnson asks, how does this compare to the Heart Temple Wayfair? Well, we'll talk more about that in the Heart Temple episode, which I believe will be the next one. Um, I just wanted to add in a little bit uh, more to that because like, it's just like, oh yeah, you know, it's through the punishment, the person's guilt is then removed. I loathe that concept. I personally loathe and hate that concept. But again, this is how these people live their life. I'm not saying my way is better because it's not, because I'm a little biased with my own shadow pool of malevolence and I'm a very malevolent person because, and the reason why I'm a malevolent person with my nurture because it's part of my octogram, right? That's why I am unconscious developed. Unconscious developed ENTP is a malevolent ENTP. And ENTPs are malevolent because they are bitter. And they are bitter because life, society, their, our family, our upbringing, everyone was malevolent to us. So we became malevolent as a result. Because from our perspective, it's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm completely innocent and I'm being punished for doing nothing wrong. So why are you whining why do you get to whine why do you get to complain because i had it worse than you did so shut up that that's basically the malevolent entp perspective you know like suck it up and move on you know so let's look at uh the shadow pole of justification discrimination so discrimination is the heart temple pole of this origin wheel discrimination affects justification based on if the enfp or icj likes or dislikes the person in question if they like someone who has violated a boundary, they're more likely to respond positively to that person. Discrimination oscillates between special treatment and negative prejudice. Discrimination takes away the neutral element in justification and reveals the necessity for the truly subjective. This dyad provides justification, wrath or absolution based on who someone is, basically. This is why folks, NFPs and ISTJs are the most racist of the types. They're the most racist. Constantly talking about other people's color and skin, talking them and comparing and contrasting cultures and talking about who's stupid and who's smart and who's intelligence. Like, I'm sorry to say, but ENFPs and ISTJs are by default racist people. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they behave. I don't care what they claim. That is just the grim reality. They're racist. They are racist people. They are prejudiced by default. And when you, when you come to realize that truth, you, you come to realize that racism and prejudice is actually a survival instinct attached to human psyche. It's not actually a social problem. It's not something that can be fixed with nurture. It's something that will never go away so long as the human race exists. It will never go away. Discrimination is always going to be present unless, of course, we want to utilize psychological eugenics and make sure that ENFPs and ISTJs are never born ever right? Oh, but that wouldn't do very well because guess what? You know, discrimination will still be coming out of, you know, the shadows 
of ESTPs and INFJs. So I guess that means we'll have to completely eliminate the soul temple entirely. You know, let's, let's just wipe them from existence and we never have to deal with racism ever again. Nope, nope. So long as the soul, so long as there is a person out there with a soul temple psyche, ESTP, INFJ, ENFP, ICJ, as, one, as long as one of those people exist, racism will always exist in the human race and there's nothing you could do to stop it. So why don't you stop caring about it? When? You know, like seriously, stop, stop complaining about racism. Stop complaining about prejudice. Everyone does it. Okay. Seriously. This is what Malcolm X was trying to teach people and he was killed for it by the FBI. Great. So like there, there's, yes, all origins can be seen as a pipe dream. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Like, look, FT, I mean, my origin is the worst pipe dream of them all. Satisfaction. Do you think it's possible for someone to ever be truly satisfied? Much less an ENTP or an ISFJ. Let me tell you, that's the pipe dream. Okay, that's the pipe dream. My origin is probably the worst one. So, I mean, come on. So, yeah, uh, just understand, you know, and, and here's another thing about discrimination. Like, here, here's an example of discrimination actually used in a very, very good way. You know, like, so let's say I show up I show up um, to a very, very high class wine bar and I bring, I bring a girl with me. This is actually a true story. Um, and she's kind of like dressed like a bimbo. Um, and not that I mind because I actually really enjoy that. Uh, but um, the thing is, is that she was treated like crap by this wine bar. She was treated like crap. And then I'm like, all right, you know, and then I literally say in front of everyone, okay, well, fuck this place and fuck these people. We don't need them. And then we just left makes her, as a soul temple templar, makes her feel important, makes her feel special because I discriminated against them in her favor, right? Right? Because I discriminated against them because I made her more important. I made her race, culture, skin color, ex it doesn't matter. I made her, I gave her special treatment over all those other people. And I labeled all those other people like these, uh, you know, stuck up stiffs basically. And then her not being stuck up, you know, made her feel far more special because I did that because I discriminated against them and discriminated for her, basically. So it made her feel better. And it's a form of giving her absolution and justification. Quote, this dyad provides justification in the form of wrath or absolution based on who someone is. And based on who she was to me, I basically told everyone else to fuck off, okay, at that place. And we didn't even go to that wine bar anywhere. We went somewhere else, right? And that's an example, an example of how discrimination can be used as a good thing. That's an example as to how prejudice can be used in a positive way. And ENFPs and ISTJs provide this for the human race and within the human race and ultimately for ESTPs and INFJs because they have no sense of identity whatsoever, so their, their, their identity is literally based on their ENFP or ISTJ lovers discriminating against other people in their favor. And then they can all of a sudden feel like they're a person instead of a machine or a deadly or an empty husk, for example. This is the value of discrimination right here, a positive uh, effect. And there's impartiality. Impartiality is the mind temple pull of this origin will. Impartiality is the purest form of justification meaning it is sterile and as close to unbiased as one can get. So discrimination is like leaning in hard on the bias, whereas impartiality is letting go of bias entirely, right? Impartiality relies solely on the facts that this dyad can gather and then makes a judgment based on only those facts. Blind justice is literally impartial justification incarnate. It's also, I think a better way of uh, describing impartiality is basically being as neutral as humanly possible, right? Neutral, being neutral in, in all cases. That's why it's probably better to have an ENFP or an ISTJ judge, you know, in a, in a court of law situation, way better to have it an ESTJ or an INFP. Oh, I, I, I loathe. ESTJs and INFP judges, I loathe them with a fiery passion. I loathe them. Oh, they're so, like, everyone that I've ever met anecdotally within my life has just been a, a completely gross, corrupt person. 
But having an ISTJ or an ENFP there, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, they can actually be truly impartial, which is nice because they have access to that aspirational, um, that aspiration, uh, aspirational pull within their temple wheel, which is, which is amazing. I am very happy to have that opportunity. So being impartial is insanely important because like while these people wield bias for their own personal gain and the gain of those closest to them or based on people that they like, at the same time, they can also be really impartial, which allows them to have the ability to practice active listening unlike any other type within the 16 types. These people have the ability to actually truly listen. And it's amazing. And it's because they can just turn off all their bias. It's like, it's funny. They have a switch where they're just like, I'm the most biased person that walks the earth. And they can switch it to, I'm the least biased person who walks the earth. And then because they do that, all of a sudden they're in a position to listen. Right? Well, that's incredible. That's really incredible. <coughs> so that's the, uh, that's the uh, ENFP and ISCJ side. So let's Let's talk more about uh, the ESTP and the INFJ side because we've been talking about them a little bit. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, just want to make sure I don't lose my place here. So there's the other uh, cognitive origin, which is intimacy, also known as connectedness. Intimacy is the second uh, cognitive origin of the soul temple belonging to the ESTP and INFJ diet. Intimacy is connection, closeness, and ultimately bonding, right? INFJs and ESTPs seek relationships where they're so connected that nothing can break them and another person apart. They really put heavy emphasis on the saying, the family you choose versus the family you inherit, right? And they want to be so intimate and closely connected to other human beings that those human beings are literally their family. And they can't let go of that. That is what intimacy is all about to them. That is what connectedness is is all about uh, to the INFJ and the ESTP. So with these high expectations come high disappointments and this diet's high expectations often sabotage their opportunities for intimacy. For example, um, there's, uh, it's so funny because these types, you know, while INFJs and ESTPs have the highest body counts, uh, the most sexual partners uh, per type, basically out of the 16 types, they're also serial monogamists. They really have this difficulty focusing on more than one person at a time. They really only want to just give all their focus that when they're in a sexual relationship with somebody, really on as much on one person at a time. And they really expect that back to them for the most part. There's a few exceptions out there, uh, but uh, reality, they they really have a hard time. Like they, they want to be so closely connected and intimate with one person that it leads to this uh, unspoken requirement for monogamy in their relationships. And they usually expect that nine times out of 10, expect that uh, from the other person basically, because they have this issue where it's like, okay, Hey, you know, because I have these high expectations, I have a high disappointment where it's like, well, if you're having sexual relations with someone else, that means, you know, that uh, I no longer feel connected to you, which which is a bullshit lie. It's absolute bullshit, but they all think this for some reason, and it's all based on an assumption. They just haven't really had an opportunity to suffer very much in their life to realize that that's not actually true. But again, with high expectations come high disappointments, and high expectations often sabotage their opportunities for intimacy. Like their standards are way too high, way too high. So on a technical level, intimacy is unique uh, combination of four elements of the origin wheels or origin pyramids. These elements are not just aspects of intimacy. They are tools that ESTPs and INFJs can use to find and create intimacy, right? And that's what we've talked about. Chastity, lust, objectification, and, and idolatry are the, or idolization, right, are the four parts that compose intimacy and the four tools used to achieve it, basically. So, um, you know, I'll actually see if I could share my screen right here. Neil can, uh, nope, we're not looking at that. That's the wrong screen. I don't know why it's not letting me see the other screen anymore. That's so frustrating. Let me see if I can make an adjustment. Um, okay, let's see here. Um, is that working? Okay, uh, see that. 
Does that work? Yeah, okay. So that's the temple wheel. So uh, if you guys can notice here that on the right here or left, which is red, this is the or this is the um, the shadow pull objectification. This is the aspiration pull. Here is the living virtue, and here is the deadly sin, basically. So that's kind of where these are coming from. Um, trying to get my thing here. All right, cool. All right, and let's make sure my window gets fixed. Awesome. All right, so let's look at let's look at chastity real quick. So chastity is the soul temple pole with this wheel. It prioritizes the literal soul of another person and how one's own soul relates to others. Chastity is often overlooks the physical aspects of closeness and focuses on the psychological, emotional, and spiritual aspects instead. Chastity is the living virtue because it shows how intimacy can be sought while self-acceptance is present. <coughs> and that's the thing, like the the higher body count in ESTP or an INFJ actually has, you know that they have rejected themselves far more. You know that they are a lot further away from themselves within their nurture. And they basically tack their self-acceptance based on their sexual performance, as well as people in their life being willing to stick around and have a consistently good sexual experience with them over and over and over. And that could be an issue. But like I said, you know, chastity is living virtue because it shows how intimacy can be sought while self-acceptance is present. They need self-acceptance basically as a tool to arrive at being chased anyway. Being chased is a very, very, very big thing. And both these types are decently masculine, especially the ESTP. It doesn't matter if the ESTP is a man or a woman, they can be extremely chaste and focus on everything they have all on that one person, right? So they end up becoming like this monogamous individual, ultimately, even though they have the, um, um, the uh, oh God, the seductive style, like for example, the ESTP seductive style of the rake, right? Well, chastity can get in the way of that. So, all right, um, Hamilton, you can find them by listening to the Deadly Sin lectures because they are mentioned in the Deadly Sin lectures in the premium lectures se section of the members portal, csjust.life forward slash portal. I'll log in and go to premium lectures and click Deadly Sins. Listen to the, each of the episodes and you can write them down from there. Uh, lust, so looking at the Deadly Sin, Lust is the body temple pole within this wheel. It is sourced through the realization of one's own incompleteness. Lust is the deadly sin because it is usually destructive due to the ESTP and INFJ's own violent self-rejection. Lust is the constant seeking to shuffle in new things to fill the hole within the, its own soul. It is the endless cycle of seeking. However, lust is necessary because it is also the fuel of relentless desire. Lust is the beginning of connection because it is often the moment the ESTP and INFJ decide that they will seek out another person. Well, that while that is the case, there's also an additional aspect or component to lust that hasn't really been discussed very much. At least it wasn't discussed very much in the deadly sin lecture of lust, the lust lecture. And that's basically the concept of jealousy. People are often lusting after things that they cannot have, basically, or lusting thing after things like so like their NI starts desiring something that they see with their SE. They're seeing other people's experted sensing, seeing what other people have, seeing what other people own, seeing what other people have done, seeing what other memories and stories other people have, and they lust after having those same stories as well. So they want to go do those things so that they can walk away with those stories or walk away with those experiences or walk away with those memories because ESTPs and INFJs love replaying shared experiences and memories and other and other people's reactions they love replaying other people's reactions in their heads basically 24 7 and it's because they're just literally racked with you know this nostalgia that they can't even get away with right so it ends up basically turning into this form of possessive jealousy ultimately and the more that they lust after something, the more after they want after something. And, and here's the thing, like, this is especially about the ESTPs, because ESTPs have this thing where it's like, hey, I've wanted you for so long, and I don't often want things. I don't often want people. I don't often want to be in a relationship with somebody. So when I make the decision to actually want somebody, 
it's a really, really big deal. And I wanted you. So you have to respect the high amount of effort that it took to actually choose you, right? And that, again, that's where they have this really, really super high expectations, which can also lead to very high disappointments because of their lust and they just can't get away from their lust. And that's why they are the most jealous of all of the types and end up becoming the most possessive of all of the types, ESTPs and INFJs as a result. Then there is the, uh, the aspiration pole of, or no, the, uh, it's not the aspiration pole, excuse me. It is the um, shadow pole of idolatry. So idolatry is the hard temple pole of this origin wheel. Idolization occurs when the ESTP or INFJ encounters someone who they want to believe, or at least they see an attribute in someone else that this dyad believes will complete them. Becoming intimate with someone as in part enabled by this dyad's elevation of that person over the rest. It's so interesting because ESTPs and INFJs end up taking on the masculine journey of trying to become holy. They ultimately seek holiness more than anything else. And that is ultimately what their cognitive origin actually is, intimacy and connectedness. It literally is holiness. It leads to holiness. Holiness being complete and lacking nothing. They're constantly searching how they can be complete. And when they believe they find a trait or a person that would complete them, they will stop at nothing to get that person. They will worship that person and put them on a pedestal. But they also want to be worshipped and put on a pedestal themselves, often the point where expecting that other person to have the same attitude of, well, you complete me. And then it's that form of idolatry that they can actually be ultimately help bring them to be more intimate and close and connected with that other person, literally in this shared idolatry model, basically. So becoming intimate with someone is in part enabled by this dyad's elevation of that person over the rest. That's ultimately what ends up happening, right? So then there's the aspiration pull. And the aspiration pull is objectification. So objectification is the mind temple pull in this wheel. It is unintuitive as to why uh, objectification is connected to intimacy, but objectification is actually one of the most important pieces of intimacy. Objectification dissolves much of the uniqueness of others in favor of a broader understanding of people. Sexually, for example, objectification allows these types to look at sexuality just as an act, which balances the chastity pole, which often overemphasizes the spiritual aspects of sexuality. If it is true that this dyad can become some of the best at typing other people, it is because of objectification. To objectify is to categorize, and to categorize someone properly is the fundamental layer in understanding someone and therefore is a prerequisite for connecting with them too. Well, let's look at some actual practical examples of objectification. Sometimes an ESTP or an INFJ woman just wants to feel like nothing more than a pair of tits to her man. She just like, oh, I just wanna be this guy's fuck toy. That's all I care about. They wanna be treated like a fuck toy. They wanna be tied up, for example, right? So they wanna be objectified. They wanna be treated like a set they want to be treated like a sex object. And it's so funny. Everyone starts complaining to me about how, you know, uh, you know, women shouldn't be objectified. You shouldn't treat women like sex objects. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but the only reason I have anything to do with women, have anything to do with women at all, is because I want to have sex with them. Otherwise, if that wasn't a requirement, I would be very happy to not have women in my life. You see what I'm saying? So that's biological, okay? And the more that we can, like, we should probably like admit that to ourselves. And that's ultimately what the ESTP and the INFJ actually brings to the human race, right? So that's literally how it works. That's literally how it works. And it's something I've noticed like expert sensing, um, expert sensing optimistic types really, really like that whole objectification approach. Um, and I, I have seen it in INFJs like a couple of times, but it's, I've seen it, it seems to be way more common in ESTPs than INFJs. But objectification ultimately is, is kind of just how they are, you know, like, and, and there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's another practical example I'm trying to think of. I had, I had one in mind. So objectification is also like proof, 
of trust in a relationship. It's all about trust. So, because here's the thing, like, if you were an ESTP or an INFJ in a sexual relationship with someone and you objectify this person and you, you also want to be objectified. And the thing is, is that it takes a lot of trust in you for the other person to even allow you as the ESTP or the INFJ to objectify them. But it also takes an insane amount of trust for you, the ESTP, the INFJ, the you who is typically the person who is doing the objectifying to allow the other person to objectify you. And it's that super high level of trust, which actually helps increase the intimacy and the connectedness and get you your cognitive origin in a sexual relationship through objectification. That is, quite frankly, literally how it works. That's literally how it works. That's the point. That's how they get their origin. That is the most practical example of objectification leading to intimacy because of the trust factor. That's how it is. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, the origins can be expressed internally and externally. So, like, you know, there's, there's introverted expressions, there's extroverted expressions, right? Intimacy is primarily external, seeking connection with others, but it is also internal, building a relationship with oneself, right? Whereas justification, likewise, can be extended to others and provided for oneself. The main implication of this is that each type is seeking the complementary uh, origin of their dyad. So like, for example, ENFPs and ISDJs are seeking an external source of intimacy. ESTPs and INFJs are sources of intimacy primarily, and they feel most intimate when they can share that source with other people. ESTPs and INFJs are seeking an external source of justification. ENFPs and ISTJs are sources of justification, and they feel the most justified when they justify others. Like, I mean, Railgun, for example, the one thing that she wants from me more than anything else is ultimately justification. She wants me to absolve her for constant failing and her constant mistakes on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, you know, and because of that, you know, she she's looking to me to absolve her and provide her justification and come up with any excuse under the sun that I can to excuse her from failure, basically. And it's the same thing with the INFJs. They need that constantly. The thing is, though, is that eventually I could end up becoming someone who's enabling them and then they will never grow because I'm never providing any challenge and instead coming up with the endless excuses. And why would I be coming up with endless excuses? Because, you know, if I was an ENFP or an ISTJ, it's because I'm aware of my constant failing all the time and I just want to come up with endless excuses for myself at the same time. So it ends up leading to a very transactional relationship where they're literally just exchanging excuses to one another. That's not a relationship I want, but that's what ends up happening. And it can be extremely transactional. So another implication of this uh, phenomenon is that each pole can be expressed internally and externally. Based on someone's octogram, you can actually map out which uh, pole each type is seeking the most. For example, an unconscious developed, unconscious focused ESTP or INFJ. So they're using idolatry with their deadly sin and uh, living virtue. They may be seeking discrimination, a.k.a. favoritism from those around them, and they use their source of idolatry to get it, basically. Hey, I'm going to idolize you if you give me special treatment, right? That's that's basically what that looks like, okay? So a person's octogram can actually, you know, provide preference as to which poles that a person utilizes in interacting with other people in order for them to gain their cognitive origin or even provide their cognitive origin to other people. Okay, that's just how that works. Anyway, the poles just end up being extensions of the origins and they are used to achieve the goal of the origin internally and externally. So, this ends up bringing like, okay, well, how does this, how does this affect character? Like where does character come into play? Because the soul temple is all about character, right? So, we need to remember that while the two micro origins of the soul temple are intimacy and justification, the unifying macro origin of the entire soul temple is still character. Each type within the soul temple is seeking to understand their own and each other person's identity and to sharpen the moral quality of those identities. Kind of hilarious when you think about an ESTP having FI trickster, but who, who cares? The ultimate focus of the soul temple remains on the person. If you interpret justification and intimacy as related to the yin and yang, justification is the yang, while intimacy is the yin. 
Justification is the orderly, rational, and moral expression of character. Intimacy is the chaotic, malleable yin that carries potential and reveals the relational element of character. Think of this yin and yang as answering who someone is and how good they are. From the unity of this yin and yang basically creates synergy that leads to the development of one's own character or the character of people around them, right? So it ends up becoming like this, this engine, like a soul engine of the soul temple with the, between these uh, different poles and these different, um, these different things that, that lead into that, that direction entirely. So, so based on that, like, you guys just got to understand that, you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's very simple for us to like judge, oh, this deadly sin is evil, you know, or, well, there could be some good things about it. Same thing goes with like the, the, the living virtue, you know, oh, living virtue, it's a virtue. It's good, right? By default. No, not necessarily. Like I said, there's always that, that hidden agenda behind absolution. Hey, I'm going to provide absolution for others. But it's really because I'm trying to get absolution for myself, LOL. You see what I'm saying? Like, all of these factors come into play here. But at the end of the day, the goal is for each person to use their shadow pole, aspirational pole, living, uh, living virtue, deadly sin, to ultimately fill that cognitive origin-shaped hole within their psyche. That's the whole point. And that's, that's where it comes from. And in this case, you know, for the ISTJ and the ENFP, that's justification. And for the ESTP and the INFJ, that is intimacy. That's, that's the whole point. And that's literally how their lives are organized. This is literally how they behave with other human beings completely from this perspective. This is how they even size up every other human being in determining who they want in their life to be in a relationship with. That's the entire point. That is the entire purpose. So... Anyway, folks, uh, that's it for uh, this season 18 episode. This is episode 24 uh, for October 2022. Thank you all for watching, and hopefully you all learned something uh, valuable. And I will see you folks on the next stream uh, for season 18 next month where we will be discussing the Heart Temple Cognitive Origins. So with all that being said, folks, see you guys tonight on the Discord. Later.